Welcome to the Nonprofit Newsfeed, nonprofitnewsfeed.com, bringing you the best news from the best sector, news from a nonprofit perspective and what matters. This show brought to you by Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thanks for joining us. This week on the podcast, a little nonprofit news talking about what happens if the GOP speaker just keeps rolling along without being elected. We're discussing some issues about the Savior Complex movie, nonprofit hospitals back in the hot seat, and we'll just say the word Taylor Swift and see if it makes our numbers go up like everybody else's. How's it going, Nick? It's going great, George. So that's right. To your first point, the first story you want to talk about today is that Congress is yet again going to the floor to vote for a House Speaker after the ouster of Kevin McCarthy two weeks ago. The vote is, as we record this, ongoing, but it looks almost all but sure that Jim Jordan will lose. Jim Jordan is the newest frontrunner after Steve Scalise also lost, um, which means that by the time this recording is uploaded to the interwebs, we will still be without a Speaker of the House, which means that the House of Representatives cannot pass legislation. The reason for that is largely because the Speaker controls how legislation is brought to and from the floor. There is a Speaker pro tempore, which kind of is in charge, but does not have the full powers of speaker. So from the nonprofit perspective, all this is happening in the context of the fact that the government shutdown has not gone away. It was merely delayed. So if you remember that, the government shutdown episode we did two, three episodes ago, as with everything in Congress, they decided just to delay the inevitable, which is making good governance decisions and pushed the specter of government shutdown out. I think it's November 17th, right? So we still now we have exactly four weeks until the government shuts down again. And this time we're going into that battle without a Speaker of the House. So nonprofits across the country have to be prepared for a government shutdown. And as well, the increasing political and operational budget effects of a non-functioning House of Representatives. We cited in our newsletter the National Low-Income Housing Coalition, which says the shutdown, as well as the current political standstill, threaten what they perceive as must-pass legislation related to HUD and housing assistance. We also cited an article from the Chronicle of Philanthropy, which highlighted which particular sectors within the nonprofit world are really susceptible to kind of dramatic changes and need based on the government shutdown. So food banks in particular are expected to see dramatically increased demand when a shutdown happens as hundreds of thousands of government workers and contractors, government contractors, got to remember, it's it's not just, you know, people in suits and big office buildings. It's people in cafeterias. It's facilities folks. It's the subcontractors. It's, there's a very wide range of people who are affected about this. It means they do not get their paychecks. Um, so food banks see demand going up there um, as people go without pay. A long-term government shutdown could have impacts on food assistance programs like SNAP and other other nonprofit sectors that get funding from the government are largely largely funded by the government among those domestic violence shelters are also vulnerable to shutdowns because most of their funding comes from government 
grants. Shutdowns are not good. And we still have a month to Shut figure out bad. this problem. But George, the vibe is unsettled out there. I'd say also adding to that stress is the fact that as far as I understand in the current way we do things, we can't pass things like international aid, aid assistance, including not limited to supporting in the current Israel conflict in Gaza. And also, you know, with supporting Ukraine as well. I mean, it is stalled even right now for for that type of political action to be taken by the government. So one hopeful silver lining and like this is just pure speculation at this point is that if they're able to find a candidate the gop speaking of somebody who can speak to both sides and get the democratic votes to actually like push it through rather than trying to find those four the four votes you need on the gop side to overturn you know the majority for getting a speaker of the house there might be some compromise to be found Although if history is the is the teacher on this, I, I wouldn't hold my breath on it. But everyone seems to lose if there's a government shutdown. We currently are losing by not having a functioning house. And so I'm just hoping that it gets resolved, actually. Yeah, George, that's exactly right. I think observers of this believe that potentially one of the only ways out of this is some kind of bipartisan compromise or some kind of speaker that is able to get enough democratic support. Speaker Jeffries, minority, not speaker, excuse me, um, minority leader Jeffries um, has said he's open to formal talks about kind of almost like a coalition government forming, um, but it doesn't seem that the Republican caucus is at that place yet. So we'll continue to follow that. But There are bad things when we don't have a government working. Congressional dysfunction has stalled really, really vital national policy issues for a long time. The last time we passed immigration reform was almost two decades now. We're in desperate need of uh, comprehensive immigration reform, must pass legislation. This is something to keep an eye on, right? Um, I think that this is government function ebbs and flows. And if you're a nonprofit sitting here um, and you're thinking, okay, this sucks, what do we do? Think about engaging your audience, right? We have a very consequential election coming up next year. If people want to see a functional government, get them involved in the process of voting. Many of the people, Jim Jordan, who was just put up for election uh, to be speaker, that they're voting on right now, voted not to certify the results of the last election. Um, How about we start with strengthening um, democracy? If people want democracy to function, they have to vote for people who take democracy seriously um, as a baseline. That is something that nonprofits can help do. And they can draw that bridge between, hey, um, you're on food stamps, you're on social security, you're on XYZ, government service, government program. We need government to work for the people. And currently it's not. Um, So that should be an invitation to mobilization and participation. um, And you as nonprofits can really help lead that charge. Yeah, the get out the vote type of messaging, the voter registration, especially right now as we lead into it. We're seeing a lot of that at Whole Whale where uh, gearing up for get out the vote, you are already seeing political spending by the Biden campaign on, you know, the 2024 election cycle. So it is absolutely gearing up. And this is a very strong narrative into voter registration, you know, uh, 
I mean, I'd settle for a government just that is just operating rather than working for somebody. You gotta, you have to show up to work. You have to pass things. You, you can't shut down uh, SNAP assistance and HUD services. Uh, so yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, that's a good why now in terms of voter registration and and banging that drum as opposed to saying like hand wringing and frustration. Thanks, Nick. Absolutely. All right, I'll take us into our next story. And we finally got it, uh, the release of A Savior Complex, um, the miniseries, which you can watch, um, which documents uh, the story, the tragedy, the violence of um, a woman, uh, uh, Bach, um, Renee Bach, this woman who um, went into Africa, set up all sorts of uh, nutrition programs for children and ultimately got to the place where she was performing ill-advised, uh, uninformed surgeries um, and other kinds of uh, medically invasive procedures on children that some assert she killed hundreds of children um, by performing uh, medical interventions without having any kind of medical training whatsoever. Um, and eventually there was a whistleblower, et cetera, et cetera, the fallout. But at the short of it, um, Renee Bach was never brought to accountability. So we, this miniseries has been released. Um, we linked to a review of it from uh, good old RogerEpert.com. If you're a movie review person, you, you know this website. Um, you know Roger Ebert. And it's a nuanced review um, that really kind of shows that the movie lets the characters of the story speak for themselves um, while painting an incredibly damning narrative of violence um, and guilt that should be felt um, by the people uh, who went in and performed medical procedures on children um, without having any medical knowledge. Um, and I think it's really important for the nonprofit community to understand narratives around this, right? Like people are kind of waking up to the fact that, wait, hold on, not every NGO or every missionary who ends up in Africa is actually doing good work, right? Um, and there's a lot of perspectives. I think most people can pretty uniformly agree this is a bad thing. But some of the more nuanced perspectives, there are a lot of debate. Uh, debates about accountability in NGOs, what types of NGOs should be doing what and where. Um, and I think that those are topics that nonprofits should be aware of at the macro level that the public is engaging with via very public mediums like documentaries like this one. Yeah, there's a there quote that they use in uh, some of the opening episodes and then are repeated regularly where it's God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. On the surface, that's fine. But if you're claiming that God is qualifying you as a medical professional, I think that is a too large a leap of faith. What's interesting, it seems to be about this uh, in this body of work here, this docuseries, is that they really do try to present uh, a both sides on this, claiming that, like, you know, with their removal of services and when they're ousted out of the out of the state, that, like, are the health outcomes worse uh, because of the, you know, removal of resources? And, you know, it's a hard uh, it's a hard side to, to argue. Um, you know, the counterfactual there is, like, unproven. <laughs> so, and I like the way that they're actually like forcing you to think about it. 
Um, I, I think the overall rating though wasn't wasn't great, right? They got like uh, three three and a half stars. So uh, I haven't yeah, been able but to, to get to this, but it's not bad. Not bad, George. That's pretty good. Three and a half is solid. It's good for it's good for RogerEbert.com. Oh yeah. <laughs> Didn't realize that. Uh, well, there you have it. All right. Well, um, I, I'm still looking for more conversations about this. We were, you know, hunting around, but uh, we have that linked in the show notes, and that's on HBO. Awesome. Thanks, George. I'll take us into our next story, and this one comes from The Hill, and we've talked about this at length on this podcast already, but Bernie Sanders, a senator from Vermont, says that non-hospitals are not providing enough charity required for their tax-exempt status, right? Um, we actually kind of, we did a deep dive in this just a couple episodes ago, where we talked about the kind of deal with the devil uh, that was made that kind of led to the burgeoning nonprofit health industrial complex. Um, but here we have um, a sitting senator uh, bringing it to the forefront of the discussion. So I think that that's always really helpful. Yeah, I think it's a narrative that is going to be continued to be talked about. I, I don't see any policy being pushed for it. He's just like, calling on Congress and the IRS to hold nonprofit hospitals accounting for accessible health care in their communities and urging, you know, Congress to um to push these hospitals that are providing charity care, uh, consistent with the level of tax break they tax breaks they receive and establish enforceable standards. I think those words in quotes, enforceable standards, are crucial because of the ambiguity built into the nonprofit hospital industrial system of saying provide some reasonable support as opposed to no 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 x percent if you are getting these billions of dollars in tax benefits tax exempts tax exemptions or you have to provide x um, let's just define x <laughs> absolutely george i think that is a great point i want to take this into our next article this is a fun one um, from the esteemed journalists at news.yahoo.com. Um, and this article is about Taylor Swift performing in Kansas City. George, are you a Swifty? Uh, my daughter is a big Swifty, and she is only five and a half. Oh, wow. So you have, you have many more years, right? Um, well, Taylor Swift and the tidal wave of publicity and economic generation that comes with her tour also, as it turns out, comes with donations to nonprofits. So the article talks about uh, Sarah Biles watching Taylor Swift perform in Kansas City, um, wondering if the food bank where she works would hear from the superstar. And a few days later, they did. So after Taylor performed two sold-out shows at Arrowhead Stadium in early July, Swift's team reached out, making a sizable donation. Um, her now boyfriend, uh, Mr. Kels, uh, Travis Kels, has donated as well, um, her NFL football-playing boyfriend. Um, and uh, news outlets have reported that Swift made stops in 20 cities across the country. She was quietly writing checks to local food banks and hunger relief organizations connected to Feeding America. There's not a lot to love here. Um, you know, Taylor Swift there, I have seen reports that Taylor Swift has actually 
um, provided economic benefits to the nation as a whole actually helped revitalize um, or at least maintain certain levels of uh, economic activity in the cities um, that uh, Taylor is visiting. And here it seems that we're getting uh, direct donations to nonprofits. I don't know. I, I, I know we're skeptical sometimes of celebrity donations and all that, but George, this is awesome. Yeah, I just like the fact that as she's hitting these cities going through, she's supporting a local Feeding America uh, networks of, in order to fight food insecurity and you know doing it, doing it quietly. I mean, albeit we are reading about it in the news, but you know, it hasn't made a, a huge deal about that is a wonderful model, I think, for others that are going, doing these tours, going into cities and, and then supporting and stuff. Uh, I like it. I like the increased attention in and around hunger in the off season. Clearly, when we come into the months of November, December, our interest, focus, and attention in and around food banks increases, but the demand is ever present. So I, I like that story. And it seems like anytime somebody mentions Taylor Swift, their numbers just go up. Just ask the NFL. <laughs> for sure. For sure. A, a, a PR, economic, do-good, music-generating machine. Um, I have a smooth transition, a though. Speaking of hunger, we have a feel-good story for you. Wow, George, that was good. Speaking for hunger, Move for Hunger, as reported by CBS, has broken the Guinness World Record for the most cereal boxes to topple like dominoes. Um, we'll link to this in the show notes, but you can watch a video of what seems like a bajillion uh <laughs> cereal boxes uh, falling over like dominoes. The intention was to bring attention both to food wa waste um, and hunger issues um, in the United States, uh, sponsored by Move for Hunger. And you got a fun little uh, video there. I would not want to be the one dude who spent, you know, three months setting those all up, but, you know, it's for a good cause. Yeah. Shout out to Adam Lowy over there at Move for Hunger making you know, making this happen, organizing the, the Guinness Book of World Records to be there, turning it into a, an event leading into giving season and hey, doing that out in Detroit. It was exciting to watch. They streamed it. They had, you know, news coverage. And I, I think it's a, an, an example of how to generate buzz out of, frankly, um, the middle of October. And so I, I salute them. It was hilarious to watch all those cereal boxes and he was he was texting me and he's like i'm so nervous right now what if they don't all fall and i'm like yeah you're risking it <laughs> like it's just like one falls inside you're just like <laughs> um can can we go set those up again so if you want to go see that uh, definitely go take a look at the uh the nonprofit news feed or just search for move for hunger cereal box record some combination of those words will find you in the right place and watch this smooth transition Time for a joke. What kind of trucks uh, does Move for Hunger use to move food on Halloween? Ooh, gosh, I don't know. A monster truck. It's oh, a good I feel one. Like, I feel like you could have had that one. And, that's a good one. And quick stat on Move for Hunger. Since 2009, they've delivered over 37 million pounds of food to food banks across the U.S. and Canada. 
And that's more than 30 million meals move for hunger.org if you want to find out more. All right, Nick. Thanks. Thanks, George. This has been the nonprofit news feed summary of the week. Thanks for joining us. As always, you can find resources at nonprofitnewsfeed.com. And don't forget to sign up for our weekly email summaries of the best news from the best sector. 